Luke chapter 9, reading from 28 to 36. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendour talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfilment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. Johnny, come and share with us from God's word. Got to fess up that um, ringing that you heard during the reading was my fault. I turned my mic on early, tried to be prepared, and nah, no chance. Uh, if you do keep your Bibles with you today, they'll be helpful. Last week in Luke chapter 9, we saw that Jesus has just dropped this bombshell on his disciples, verse 22. They've just identified him correctly as being this king that God's promised for hundreds and hundreds of years. They've seen enough following Jesus around to see that he is the one who's going to save the world. And they tell him, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. They're going to kill me. That's the plan. And I'm going to rise from the dead. And you who are following, you get ready to take up your cross too. And this plan sounds nuts. And this next episode we're looking at today, it seems it happens... Uh, We're told eight days after Jesus drops that initial news to them about his plan. That plan that I doubt made very much sense to these 12 disciples. It's been eight days. But what Jesus does next, I think, he does to encourage and strengthen his disciples. What he's going to do, he's going to peel back a layer of reality for them so that they can see who he really is and be reassured about his authenticity. His plan might sound crazy, but he is the real deal. And he wants them to see that. So that's, what, that's why I think the story is where it is uh, in this gospel. What the story does for me is something a little different. What stood out for me seems like a little incidental detail, really, in the event that just happens. But 
kind of blink and you miss it, but I found it extremely encouraging on a personal level, and I'll point that out when we, when we get to it. The setting for this next scene is on top of a mountain, a real mountaintop experience, so to speak, recorded for us in Luke chapter 9, verse 28 to 36. And this is not an average day in the life of, even if you're one of Jesus' disciples, this is pretty extraordinary. A mountaintop experiences, I think, are good for us, uh, even if they're not everyday sort of things. You know, those landmark, almost euphoric moments that, that burn themselves into your memory. Uh, so for me, in the last five, ten years, the days I remember, uh, landing my first full-time job was pretty exciting. You get that phone call, uh, it told me I got accepted into this grad recruitment program. That was pretty cool. Because uh, that sort of changed the course of my life for a bit. Uh, asking Joyce, my now wife, to go out on her first date uh, before there was any history between us. And she said, yes, that was, that was very exciting. It was important. You, know, you go back even further and I think the day that I was baptised, it was under this roof. I'll tell you the story later. It was a, it was a big thing for me. I felt like I was on top of the world. I was telling the whole world, here I am, I stand with Jesus. You know, and, and come what may, I'm with Jesus. I don't know what kind of big days that you've been through that, that stay with you. The day your team won the grand final, the, the day your kid was born. I think mountaintop experiences, they're really good for us. Remembering those things are important for us and they, and they help to shape who we are. Not that we live every day like that. I don't think we can handle it, but those memories we carry around... They do shape us. Certainly did for these three of Jesus' disciples who were there with him that day. And this particular mountaintop experience, Luke chapter 9, is pretty out there by anyone's standards. I will pick up the story in verse 28, so if you have your Bibles there, please uh, read with me. It starts fairly normal, and it gets weird and wonderful pretty quickly. It's the transformer moment, isn't it? I don't know if you were watching telly last night. When the beaten up VW turns out to be this alien bumblebee thing that's been around. and uh, They've been living with Jesus all these years. They've been following him around. They, they know his clothes. They know his face. And yet today on top of the mountain, they've never seen Jesus like this. It's rude to stare, but you can't look away kind of thing. The way, Jesus describes, the way Luke describes the difference is there's something changed about Jesus' face and there's this brilliance of light. Uh, look at verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said... What he said before, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. It's like his giant lens flare in your camera shot. And I think the idea is not just that his clothes become kind of bright and shiny, but that Jesus himself is the one whose glory is being revealed in light. That's sort of piercing through his clothes. Something is happening here. And it's happening, I think, for the benefit of Peter and James and John. These three that Jesus invites to come with him, this is something he wants them to see. No more, it seems like there's no more holding back. This transfigured, this glorious Jesus is probably closer to what he should have looked like all the way along. This plain-looking carpenter that they've been seeing that Peter and the other disciples knew, the more kind of restrained and humble and let's not draw too much attention to ourselves sort of Jesus. 
I think, can you imagine if that's the way Jesus looked all the time, like, like this on the mountain, when he came in glory as this golden child? You'd expect like this choir of angels to be following him around everywhere he goes, almost if he's shining and, and glorious like this. But he doesn't choose to do that because he'd never be able to pull off his rescue plan that way. And instead he chooses to go kind of covert ops. He goes plain clothes officer. That is, except this particular day, when he's showing what he's really like to Peter and James and John. That's the first unusual thing, uh, which even that alone is kind of show-stopping. You've got to stop and pay attention to this sort of thing. But the second unusual thing that happens is that out of nowhere, two other men show up, Moses and Elijah. And they start talking with Jesus. Uh, You see that in verse 30. Uh, Two men, Moses and Elijah, appear in glorious splendour also, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfilment at Jerusalem. Uh, I don't know how they knew it was Moses and Elijah. Maybe I had those little conference name tags. Hello, my name is... Moses. Uh, I don't know, maybe Jesus told him afterwards. But here's Moses and Elijah. Now it's been 800 years since Elijah's been on the scene. And about one and a half thousand years since Moses. And they were both kind of a big deal. These two show up and talk also in this brilliance that Jesus has. And they're talking with Jesus, verse 31, about his departure. Which is going to happen at Jerusalem. Presumably, I take they're talking about this big rescue plan that Jesus has just shared with his disciples, Jesus' suffering, his death, his resurrection. And Jesus has just revealed this to his own disciples the week before. You know, when he tells them uh, he's going to head to Jerusalem, that they'll crucify him, that he'll come back to life. And this conversation with Elijah and Moses and Jesus is good for the disciples to hear, I think, because it helps to verify that what Jesus told them, that is God's plan. And who better are you going to have vouching for it than Moses and and Elijah? Now, Peter, you've got to to love Peter. If you're someone who's always getting in trouble for saying whatever it is that you want to say without thinking about it, you just keep putting your foot in it. Uh, If that's you, then good luck to you. Uh, It's never boring with you around, but Peter's like that. So here's Peter deciding that he's going to intelligently join this conversation with these three and to be as fair as we possibly can to, to poor Peter, I mean, this is a pretty big day for him. Um, he's living his mountaintop experience. He's seen Jesus in this whole new light. He's got Moses and Elijah here, for goodness sake. Maybe while he doesn't know exactly what's going on, he doesn't know why it's happening or, or what's, what's really it's all about, he doesn't want to let this experience go, does he? He wants to keep riding this wave. So he says in verse 33... Actually, let's read from verse 32. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing beside him. As the men were leaving, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what he was saying. It's good here, Peter says, so let's stay and if we're going to stay, if you and Moses and Elijah are going to stay, then we're going to need some shelter. So how about I go and, and we'll put up some shelter for you. I'll, I don't know, I'll hop on eBay, get some tents, get them shipped up to you. We can camp here forever. Uh, I don't know what he was thinking. I don't think he knows what he was thinking. 
But I've been there. You start talking and you have no idea where the sentence is going and the words are coming out anyway. You've got to do something. But he was very excited to be there, wasn't he? To have Moses and Elijah and, and Jesus around. This is like the, the pick anyone in the world to have dinner with, past or present sort of. And these Jewish men, they get Moses, they get Elijah and they get their Messiah all in one go. And Peter wants to keep this good thing going. Here is a taste of glory and it's good. We're told at verse 33, the end of it, Peter didn't have a clue. Why are Moses and Elijah here? We've already been told they're here to talk with Jesus about his death and resurrection. But why these guys? Why these two in particular? And I reckon it's because of what they stand for, both of them. Both of them were giants in the history of Israel. And so the salvation history of God's purposes in the world, these two men were a big part of it. And they have every right, I think, to be interested in the culmination of God's plans, which they were very much a part of as well in their time. Moses was the man, you'd know, who led the nation out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, He led them to Mount Sinai, where Moses goes up to meet with God to bring down the Ten Commandments and the rest. You know, it's through Moses that God gives Israel the sacrificial system. It's through Moses that Israel knew the way to live as God wanted them to, to have the system for when they stuffed up, how to actually get back in relationship with God. Through Moses is the high priest, the sacrificial lamb, the atonement for sin, something, at least symbolically, that could restore relationship with God. And Moses was it for them. That revelation, that law was it for until really Jesus came along. He was a big deal. All that came through Moses when Moses was at the helm. Now, if Moses stands for the law, then Elijah, this, the second man who appears, Elijah stands for the prophets. He was the prophet par excellence of the Old Testament. His job was like a lot of the other prophets. They're meant to call Israel back to God when they'd gone astray. So at a time when Israel was teetering on the edge of forgetting God altogether, God sends Elijah to come. And like many of the other prophets, he comes with words of judgment, harsh words, as well as words of salvation, warning, and his generation, they don't listen to him. But as Elijah speaks, God enables Elijah to do some of the most amazing signs that you you ever read about, these, these signs of power that are through this man, this prophet, Elijah. And so here we have Moses and we have Elijah representing the law and the prophets with Jesus, super significant figures in their own right. And there's Jesus in the middle rubbing shoulders with these giants. And then we read, this cloud covers them. Verse 35. Verse 35, a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they'd seen. But you hear what God's declaration is, don't you? God's declaration is, This is my son. Jesus. Listen to him. The only one standing there is Jesus. It's not Moses. It's not Elijah. It's this one. This is my Messiah. This is my promised king who's now come. The one who fulfills the law and the prophets. I mean, Moses brought the law. That's fine. Jesus fulfills the law. And sure, Moses introduced things like the Passover lamb. Well, Jesus is the Passover lamb for the world. We saw that 
uh, if you're here with us at Easter time. And Elijah, well, it might have been all about judgment and salvation, judgment and salvation, but here in the person of Jesus, we've got not just the messenger, he's the one who is God, who's come to bear judgment, who's come to be God's salvation. So at the end of the day, you know, as impressive as as Moses and Elijah might have been in their own right, at the end of the day, the voice of God comes and says about Jesus, this is my son. God says, here is my chosen king. So God has put the spotlight on this one, drawing attention to him, picking him out, getting these three disciples to look, and then here's the command that comes. Listen to him. And the word listen is so much stronger uh, in the Hebrew usage than in English. It's not just to hear something. My daughter hears me all the time and she chooses to just not do what I say. I'm sure she hears what I'm... uh, To hear God, to listen to God is more than just to hear, it's to obey it. God says, here is my son, the promised king, whom I love. Obey him. That's what you do with a king. You obey them. If you're Peter and James and John, I mean, how much clearer can this get for you, you think, standing up there that morning? You started off the day a bit sleepy, a bit excited, maybe you're going up a mountain, but by the end of the day, who is God's son? Who are they meant to be looking at? Whose glory do they see? It's Jesus, right? It's not Moses, it's not Elijah, in fact, You see, Moses and Elijah, they're getting excited about what Jesus is about to do. Listen to him. Now, one last bit of detail I wanted to point out to you. I think it's important, uh, but it's easy to miss. So, in fact, I think we skipped over it already. Um, But this is the thing that encouraged me the most when I noticed it and thought about it this week. It's in verse 34, uh, this cloud. So, if you read verse 34, while... Jesus was, no, while Peter was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. This cloud appears, uh, wraps itself around them, wraps them inside of this cloud. And I think there's something significant going on here as well. But instead of just telling you, I want to show you. And so, uh, if you will, come back with me to a few passages from the Old Testament. We'll, We'll play a game. My favourite game, Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the other. You know that you know, kid song? One of these things is not like the other one. One of these things is... Uh, come with me if you will. Look at... Uh, this first incident is in Exodus 19. So if you're okay at flicking back, second book of the Bible. Exodus 19. And this is a story of... Moses. Him getting the law. He had to go up this big mountain to get it. Exodus 19, starting from verse 9, if you have it with you. Now the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. And Moses told the people what God had said. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes And be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all these people. 
put limits around the mountain for the people and tell them, be careful you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. Shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows, not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal shall not be permitted to to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they go up the mountain. Now, um, same sort of thing. Skip forward to um, when this actually happens, when God actually comes. Verse uh, chapter 20, next chapter along, verses 18 to 19. Uh, this is when God has come. He's given these commands to Moses. We pick it up from verse 18, chapter 20, verse 18, next to this. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled in fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, You speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, "Uh, Look, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you. And the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So that's the first uh, little incident I wanted to show you. If you skip ahead the next few chapters over to Exodus 30, uh, sorry, Exodus 40, that's the next, next thing I wanted to show you. Bear with us. Exodus 40, verse 33. It's the last chapter in Exodus. It's right at the end. Exodus 40. And God's um, been telling Moses to set up this tent, uh, this tabernacle, which is basically a big tent. The most important thing about this tent was that that was where God said he would come and stay in the camp of Israel, wherever they go, as they travel around, Moses said, you can set up this tent and in that tent is where I, God, will be with you. And after all these chapters and chapters of detail describing the, how the tent's supposed to be set up and how they're going to make it, um, chapter 40, verse 33, is where they finish all this work on the tent. So we'll start reading uh, from verse 33. Uh, Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar, put up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard, and so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses could not enter the tent of the meeting because of the cloud that had settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord had filled the tabernacle. You got all this work, chapters and chapters and chapters, to build this thing, and then God comes and... Well, we'll keep thinking about what happens, say. Uh, keep your head in that for a second. One last passage I wanted to show you. If it isn't already kind of getting clear, this is a short one. Uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 5. If you're looking for 2 Chronicles, um, if you flick across after Judges, there's Ruth, and then there's 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and then you hit the 1 and 2 Chronicles. In 2 Chronicles chapter 5, now this is about 500 years after the tabernacle has been set up and the tent first goes up. In Chronicles, we see the grown-up version of that tent. It's like the tabernacle Mark 2. King Solomon uh, is on the throne and he's been the one who's uh, built this temple. It's not a tent anymore, it's a permanent structure in Jerusalem. And when he finishes building this temple... The Israel's musicians, they play and they praise God with this huge noise. And we pick up the story from 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 11. It's sort of commemorating um, the, the, the start of this new thing that they've just built. 
So uh, if you read with us, and we'll read through um, from 11 to 14. The priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there consecrated themselves, regardless of their divisions. All the Levites who were musicians, um, and there's a list of their names, stood at the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals and harps and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and singers joined in unison as with one voice they give praise and thanks to God, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals. And you get the idea. It's a massive, massive uh, song of praise. He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. The same thing happens uh, down in chapter 7, verse 2, where the priest could not enter the temple again because the glory of the Lord filled it. So those three different episodes, on the mountain, at the tent, at the temple. Now come read Luke 9:34 again and tell me if you can spot if one of these things isn't like the other ones. Luke chapter 9, verse 34. While Peter was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. You notice before how wherever this cloud is, you can't go there. Wherever the presence of God is, it drives people out. Because people are sinful and you can't mix God and sin. It doesn't turn out well for the sinner. Even Moses can't get into the tabernacle because it's filled with the cloud. Same as the priests, they couldn't get into the temple because the cloud was there. God and sinful people don't mix. And that's what holiness means. God is separate from you. Holy. He's he's set apart, untouchable. And it's for your own good. It's for your own protection. Because if sinful people were to come into the presence of God, you'd be destroyed like moths in a firestorm. You just can't go there. And maybe you've had a week this week where you've been more aware of your sinfulness than usual. I don't know whether it's caught up with you and and you're reaping some consequences. Maybe that's an unnerving thing to realise, to find yourself inadequate and just realise the state of your profound brokenness. But this is who we have to live with, isn't it? It's us. And it's not pretty and it's not fun. I've seen myself in that light this week and well, how do I front up to other people, let alone a perfect God? Now, somehow, this is what I love about this passage, somehow with Jesus, verse 34, this cloud appears and envelops them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. This is the presence of God. He's the one speaking in this passage very clearly. Jesus is literally brilliant in his glory. But for once, the cloud, this presence of God, doesn't drive sinners out. You see, the cloud envelops them. And they're afraid, but they're not destroyed. Something different is here. And it's awesome. All our hope, I think, rides on this. Somehow with Jesus, sinners like you and like me, with all our disappointing weaknesses and failures, 
with our deceitful hearts, we can stand in the presence of God and be addressed by God and not be destroyed, not be kicked out. Jesus somewhere else said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And yet through him, and what he's going to do at Jerusalem in his death and in his resurrection, there is our way in. Thank God. eh? And as we finish here this morning, I wonder whether, to reflect on this whole transfiguration sort of story, whether you've seen Jesus like that. You know, your own mountaintop moment with Jesus. Whether there's been some point in your life up until now where Jesus has been shown to you to be who he really is. You've gone from just reading about him in the Bible or hearing other people talk about him. Maybe you didn't know him at all. And all of a sudden, God shows you this Jesus in his surprising glory. And you see who he really is. That the death that he died really was for you to pay your debt. You know, that he's offered you forgiveness. That this is the Son of God, the King. He really offers you his spirit to change your life. That's what happened with me. I've heard all this stuff about Jesus. It didn't matter much to me for I don't know how many years until it clicked. That it wasn't about how good I was. And that this was the one who'd let a sinner like me be forgiven. And it's not some loophole that we're exploiting. This is God's plan that God himself set up and set into motion. We read that God does not delight in the death of the wicked, but longs for people to turn to him and live. And it all starts with whether you can see Jesus for who he really is. And once you've seen him, there's no turning back, is there? There's no looking away. I mean, you, can, you can shut your eyes and pretend there's nothing there, but you know once you've seen something. And why would you ever turn your back on the light of the world and what's possibly out there in the darkness that you love so much that you'd shut out and you'd give up on this Jesus? If you've never seen Jesus for who he really is, if you've never got why he's such a big deal, all right. But here this morning, there's a whole bunch of people who have seen Jesus like this. So you're in the right place to find out if you just ask. And listen, even better, look and read the accounts of Jesus yourself. Uh, we started having a look at part of it this morning. Keep looking and listen, uh, listen to Jesus as he addresses you and meets you in his word. And ask that God will show you who Jesus is. Please hear God's commendation of his son to you again this morning. God says, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Here is hope and a way forward. He is the one God sent to meet us in our need. So will you listen? Will you dare to actually put him at the centre of your life and see if, before you throw in the towel, see if he can actually do something for you? If you're someone who has seen Jesus in his glory, in this sort of glory, you've committed yourself to him, then hear the command of God to you who've seen Jesus in his glory. 
God says, listen to him. Obey him. And maybe for the last few weeks, uh, months even, some of us have been wrestling with something for a while because God's put that on your heart. And you need to do something or change something. There's someone you need to talk to. Uh, there's some place that you need to go. And it scares you because it's going to cost you. So you're still sitting on the fence, but maybe you're here this morning because God knows you need a gentle nudge and an encouragement to listen to Jesus and to obey. Wherever he's asked you to go, for you it's a matter of obedience. Listen to him. Or maybe you're like me and you just want to spend a while appreciating again that God accepts you. In Jesus, we've come into the presence of God and we're not destroyed, even though we probably should be. You know, that he, that he bears with us, that he'll go and, and bear our sin and make us new. Isn't that awesome? Let me leave you with a final commendation from the Apostle Peter himself. I'm taking this from the letter he writes to encourage the churches towards the end of his life. And as an older man reflecting on this mountaintop experience that apparently stayed with him, uh, we read his words over in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Peter writes, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him for the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Keep staring at the sun. Listen to him. Amen.